We turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. Uh, this morning we uh, come on the heels of last week, Abraham uh, trusting in the Lord that he would uh, either preserve the life of Isaac or raise him from the dead if he had to strike him with the knife. Abraham had a resurrection face. This morning we come uh, to uh, a chapter in which we see the death of his wife. And nonetheless, it is the same man with the same faith in the resurrection that stands before us. In fact, it's the key to understanding uh, this passage, which is sort of laid before us as just a matter-of-fact thing. Sarah was old. She died. He put her in the ground. But there is much we can learn from this passage uh, I want to explain a couple things that will come up, come upon in this passage. One is uh, a negotiation, and it, it kind of makes me laugh. It's what I saw when I was in Jerusalem. When you walk into the market, someone will, uh, will, will thrust a bag into your hands, and you're holding the bag, and he'll say, it's, it's your bag now, I gave it to you. And he doesn't mean that he's actually giving to you the bag. There's a, a negotiation that's about to take place. And, you know, if you, you don't, uh, you, say, you start walking away and go, no, 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 right? There's a price to be paid for it. And he'll say, you're breaking my heart. And he'll say, you're breaking my wallet. Right? There's this back and forth. And it's kind of funny what we see in this passage. He's uh, between Ephron and Abraham. He's not saying, uh, you know, what's 400 shekels between me and you? He's actually stating the price. This is what he wants Abraham to pay for the field. The other is, and this is the title of the sermon, the now and the not yet. And this is what we're going to focus on. Believers, there is a now and a not yet for you in this life. There's things that um, God has promised to you, and, and you may feel like I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, such as like the seat that you have in heaven. But you, even now, are as much uh, in that seat, right? He's promised it to you, and that promise will never fail and so, when we consider the now and not yet, there are truths that are laid before you that as you live in the now, uh, you live understanding the realities of what God has promised. We'll see that unfold before us this morning. Uh, let me read, or pray and then read. Our gracious God, we turn to Your Word. I pray, Father, that from it You would speak comfort over us, that You would speak peace over us, that You would give us a joy even in the midst of a world that brings many sorrows. We pray that Christ would be known and magnified. I pray that He would be our hope and our joy. And we pray that Your Spirit would be active in the preaching of the Word, that it would open our ears and our hearts, that we might receive it and be transformed, transformed by it. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God's Word beginning in chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. 
Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites for all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it in the sight of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it for me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was at the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is God's word for his people. Amen? Uh, this morning, uh, we turn from the relief of Abraham at the salvation of his son by the Lamb in the previous chapter to see the stark reality of what we must still endure in this world as we await the return of Christ. And so we're going to consider three things. One, death is the beginning. Two, now is the sojourning. And three, and yet are the promises. Death is the beginning, now is the sojourning, and yet are the promises. First, death is the beginning. Uh, Matthew Henry once quoted uh, uh, a sermon that his father gave at a funeral, and he said this about death. Would you like to know where I am? I'm at home in my father's house in the mansions prepared for me there. I am where I want to be. No longer on the stormy sea, but in God's safe, quiet harbor. My sowing time is done, and I am reaping. My joy is the joy of harvest. Would you like to know how it is with me? I am made perfect in holiness. Grace is swallowed up in glory. Would you like to know what I am doing there? I see God, not as through a glass darkly, but face to face. I am engaged in the sweet enjoyments of my precious Redeemer. I am singing hallelujahs to Him who sits upon the throne, and I am constantly praying, praising Him. Would you like to know what blessed company I keep? It is better than the best on earth. Here are the holy angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. 
I am with many of my old acquaintances with whom I worked and prayed who have come here before me. Lastly, would you know how long this will continue? It is a dawn that never fades. After millions and millions of ages, it will be as fresh as it is now. Therefore, weep not for me. It's a powerful statement. How is the believer supposed to cope with the remnants of the fall as we are still in this world? How do we reconcile our physical death with our spiritual realities? I feel in many ways like I'm doing a a funeral homily for Sarah. What can be said of her? Verse 1, Sarah lived a full life. In her 127 years, she experienced remarkable things from God who made promises to her and to Abraham. She had her son and God's provision all of her days. To recount her years would be to take account of God's steadfast love and His faithfulness to her. She really lived. What is it to truly live in the here and now? It is drawing our breath to the praise of our glorious God. There is much to give praise for in this life for those who have a safe harbor in God's presence. Faith, uh, it says in Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And though we open with Sarah in her death, Her conviction and reality was not undone by death. Death is only the beginning for the believer. He whose head is in heaven need not worry about his foot in the grave. You see, Sarah is dead. But the truth is that she is now truly living. Now, even today as we sit here, she is truly living in the presence of God. And this comes not only to the believer who passes away, but is a great comfort to those who are left here in the now. We get a range of human emotions in this passage because death will touch us all. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Abraham comes in verse 2 to mourn and to weep for his wife. This life uh, has much of this for us. We mourn and we weep in the now because of the curse of the, and the awful effect of the fall that touches all of mankind. Bavink tells us the fact of death is the same for believers and unbelievers. For the latter, However, it is into punishment. But for us, the believer, it is the passing into eternal life. The weeping husband here knows something of his Lord. Hebrews 11 tells us what he knows. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and they were exiles on the earth. Here we have Abraham, this this man of resurrection faith, this, this man that Paul describes in Philippians 3 of knowing that our citizenship is in heaven 
And from it, we await a Savior. You see, death is a reckoning. We can't avoid it, and thus, we have to contemplate it. You would be wise to contemplate it that we will all go the way of Sarah. Jesus tells us in John 5 how we are to think on it. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to who He will. And He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word, this is Jesus talking, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Death isn't the terminus. It is the beginning. The same hope Abraham had for Isaac, he has for his wife. God will raise her. Who will deliver you from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it is Jesus Christ. Who will reunite you to this body that has died? It will be Jesus Christ in His second coming. What is your hope in the mourning and the weeping that happens in this world? Is it not what Paul says? Death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It has been swallowed up in life even as the ground seems to swallow up the dead. There is a time for us as believers to mourn and weep. You will mourn and weep in this life. But there is also a time for us to rise up as Abraham did in verse 3. Let your hearts rise up in this life in the now and the not yet and rest in a God who is making all things new. So death is the beginning. And for us who are here now, we are sojourning. Our second point. Now is the sojourning. Uh, The last 11 chapters have been a lot of ups and downs of this sojourning man of faith, Abraham. And so his actions for us are to be noted as we sojourn in this earth that is filled with joys and sorrows. How we sojourn is important. How we live our life now says everything about what we believe about our future. In many ways, I think Abraham had it easier than Israel and easier than us. Uh, let me give an illustration. Uh, children, uh, have you ever been camping? Uh, your, your parents take you out of your comfortable bedroom, all of your comfortable things, and they take you off into some wilderness and you have to sit in a tent. The McCall family loves to camp. I don't know why, but we choose this as our vacation option most of the time. Uh, we uh, leave bes- behind um, uh, our memory foam beds and our HVAC, and I'd be lying if I told you how wonderful it was. It's pretty uncomfortable. I once cooked a uh, frozen corn dog over a candle. Um, <laughs> my clothes were all stuffed in a bag. I've had to roll up a wet tent. Uh, I've had to repair a tire in the wilderness, and we all get grumpy by the very end. So, have I sold it for you? Uh, camping's the best. You need to go sometime. You, you, you meet a bunch of people that you, you'll never see again. And each passing mile of the trip reminds you that you are just a sojourner and this tent is not your home and you can't wait to get back to the place that you long for, for the bed to sleep in, for a stove that turns on instead of a candle. 
Israel knew this. And they knew it well when they received this message from Moses. They'd been wandering for 40 years from place to place, setting up and tearing down. And mom and dad kept telling them about the promised land and where they were going and where they would arrive. But nothing for them until they got there was permanent. And they were told where they were going, but they were left waiting and they were sojourning in a place that was not home. But there was going to be an issue when they finally got their feet in Canaan. And Moses tells them that in Deuteronomy 8. He warns them that when they arrive at the promised land, they were going to have the temptation to forget the true reality of the promises and the provisions of God. It says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. And so He fed them every morning and reminded them that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And why does He say remember? Moses tells them in the same chapter, because you're going to come into a land where you're going to... uh, Eat until you are full. And you're going to have homes that have a foundation that you don't have to set up anymore. And you are going to have banks filled with the wealth in this new land. And that your heart is in danger of being lifted up. And you forget who brought you out of Egypt and saved you. The warning was that they would become so situated and so comfortable in this world now that their sojourning would be over and God would be forgotten. You know, it's a temptation for us that we forget that this is a world that we're passing through. This is not our final home, that there's a place that we are going and death will not let you forget that you are sojourning. The spiritual sojourning of the believer can be overcome by the physical realities of our earthly home. Yes, Abraham had it easier, it would seem. The land was promised to him, but it wasn't yet realized. He still had to pack up his tents. It was his now by promise, but not yet by physical ownership. And he had no permanent place in the land to even lay his wife, so he had to come before the Hittites in verse 3 and say, I'm a sojourner here among you. Give me some property that I might bury my wife. This father of nations and heir of the land doesn't own much more than a well in Beersheba. And he spends the next several verses having to negotiate for what is his by promise. By all rights, he has to negotiate with the Hittites. And he has no problem recognizing, I am a sojourner now, even knowing what one day will be his and his offspring. The details that unfold give us insight into what it means for a believer to be a sojourner in the world. In negotiation, the Hittites recognize uh, Abraham. His name has become great. They call him a prince of God. They recognize that he is a believer in God. The Hittites have many gods. Abraham has one. And this one man who had no kingdom with walls or a plot of ground to bury his 
uh, wife or call his own, nonetheless has evidence in him that they recognize some special blessing rests upon this man that they would call him the Prince of God. I wonder what expression of our faith is evident to others as we live in this world. How we live, how we move in this world matters. It matters how you sojourn in this world. And it matters how you talk and it matters in what our hope is in. And this becomes evident in the unfolding exchange. The Hittites offer to Abraham, it seems completely gracious, you can choose from the choicest of our tombs. Pick the nicest one and bury your wife. But this isn't what Abraham asked for. He didn't want a Hittite tomb. Give me property, he says. When Sarah's body has gone through the decay of death, she will be removed and she will be replaced if she's just in some Hittite grave. What is more, that kind of burial is not communicating what Abraham is hoping for. So he offers to purchase a piece of property from Ephron. I will pay the full price. And so the negotiation goes on that Abraham pays the full price of 400 shekels of silver. He wants a place of his own. And he will bear the price for its purchase. And so he buys a field in in the cave of Machpelah, right in the heart of Canaan, is now land of his own. Now we might go, yeah, big deal. He owns a cave, a place to bury his wife, a burial plot. We're all going to purchase one one day. But it was the mark of a greater hope. He would be buried there. And so would his sons and grandsons, Isaac and Jacob, even Joseph who died back in Egypt, who said, please take up my bones to have them buried in the promised land. And when you think about it, that means that Moses is traveling around for 40 years with these mummified bones awaiting the time in which they can carry him into that promised land where they're going to set their feet down in the place that God promised generation after generation until Joshua finally places his feet in the land. A plot of land was an outward assertion of their belief in the promise of God. So even now, death serves as a reminder for us as we sojourn. Uh, Matt Bonner has written a paper on the theological importance of burial for the believer. It's, it, it's a wonderful paper working through the significance of, of, of Christian burial. And in it, he quotes this, "...the more I think of the way in which the children of Israel asserted their right to the possession of Canaan, in which they had not one foot of ground to call their own, merely by burying their dead in it, the more do I feel that every body put into this earth is a new invasion of Satan's present dominion. A new declaration that Christ is coming to claim the earth for His church. The Christian burial proclaims something powerful about our anticipation of something greater to come. Yet are the promises 
The union of the body and the soul, or as 2 Peter 3 says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness now? Waiting for the hastening and the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to the promises, we who are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells in Jerusalem, just outside the Garden of Gethsemane, the whole hill is aligned with graves all facing towards the Temple Mount, buried there in anticipation of a resurrection in which they hope they will be led in procession into the presence of God. Abraham wants this. A place in which his generations will rise from their graves made new from this first promised land into the ultimate promised land. This old sojourner teaches us something about the anticipation of the coming day of the Lord. He never had the opportunity to become too comfortable in this world to forget it as he bows before the Hittites. His real posture was bowing before God in the anticipation of what God has promised him, what will come, as Hebrews 11 says. He desired, Abraham, a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it is with the Christian burial. Why bury and not burn? Because it says something about what Christ will do in the raising of the dead. Abraham got a small taste of those promises now. Not just some obscure grave, but a holding place. An anticipation of all those glorious promises. You, sojourners, what helps do you have as we await God's promises? It's happening this morning. Every time we gather together, we are an anticipation of seeing our Savior face to face. Every morning that we gather under the preaching of God's Word, you're being fed with that manna that feeds the soul and gives you life and strength as you're here in the now of this world and all the things that cause us to, to weep and to mourn. You have the encouragement of other believers that have the same hope. Even now, you can go. We don't have one. But you can go into graveyards and you can read the epitaphs on Christians that have been buried who lay there their bodies in anticipation of the soul that is before God now being reunited with a body made perfect. So death is the beginning. We are now, now we are called sojourners. And finally, our last point, yet are the promises of God. Uh, 17 through 20, the transaction that Abraham had with the Hittites is uh, finished and the land is truly Abraham's. And I don't just mean a burial plot in Canaan. The whole of that small plot of land was made over to him as he placed Sarah in the ground and he would see her again. And he would see her 
as she was truly made to be. We get many descriptions of how beautiful Sarah was in life, but how much more beautiful is she now in perfection? In her would be no more imperfections of sin. He mourns her passing, but he will dance with her in the presence of God. In one obscure demarcation of land in Canaan, yes, a tomb was a proclamation of what will come. What is yet to be realized. Yet are the promises of God to be fully realized. Abraham will be left waiting. A couple chapters for us. Uh, a lot longer for him, will be left waiting. And even Israel, when they finally arrive in the new land, will be left waiting. And though, and through a series of exiles, Israel will uh, lose the land, get the land, lose the land as they sojourn and wait for what is to come. Believers, know this. You, now, as comfortable as your home is, as comfortable as your life has been made, are in exile. Our sojourners are waiting for something that is yet to come. Something that is as much yours though now today as it will be when you finally realize it. Because it is situated in a God who makes promises and His very character and nature is unchangeable. That's good news. You will rise out of this world into the new heavens and the earth and you can count on it. Yes, you mourn and you weep. Yes, our loved ones have been laid in the ground. And yes, just as our Savior who left a grave vacant after His death is only the first fruits of what will happen to you who have trusted in Christ, who will be raised body and soul reunited. Jesus, in John 17, before He Himself would go into the grave, prayed about the not yet. The glory, He says, that You have given to Me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one, so that the world may know that You sent Me and loved them, even as You loved Me. Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given to Me, be with Me where I am. Oh, doesn't the soul long for that? You will be. He goes on to say, to see My glory that You've given Me because You loved Me before the foundations of the world. Do you mourn and weep? Do you feel the curse this world is under death and suffering our reality in this sinful world, but they are only part of the story as they fit into the bigger story. The fall may still work its awful results, but over and above as a God who is working and making all things new, a new creation even. And the Christian hope isn't centered on what we see around us, what we see unfolding in this world, or the pricks and the pains that we receive in this cursed land. But what is unfolding from heaven? The not yet is as sure as the air you breathe now. Ephesians 2 says it. Just as you were once dead in your trespasses, 
He has made us alive together in Christ. And that's not just spiritual. It's not only the spiritual. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us. There's a chair. A chair waiting for you in the presence of God. And it's not a chair that you hope it's still open when you get there. It's not how it works. It is yours. In the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, we have one foot in this world and one in heaven. And you are here now, but you are truly seated there. This is the faith Abraham had. He believed God's promises and it was counted to him as righteousness. Like Israel, who heard these things first, was to set their eyes on the things of heaven, so are we. Yes, we mourn and we weep, but the day is coming when even that will cease. When no longer will bodies have to be put in the ground. Revelation 21, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sojourners, it is all true. Every last bit of it. Sarah cries no more. And Abraham weeps no more. That which is placed in the ground will rise in triumph. Do you believe this? You have to reckon with death. And you have to reckon that you one day will come face to face with the living God. And what will you say there? I hope you'll see that that land was purchased at the cost of a better Abraham, that he paid the full price. In his death, Christ gave of himself fully for the purchase of your right to live in the new heavens and the new earth, to be with God and him with you. That's good news. Paul tells us in his great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, after discussing the resurrection that death is not the end of the story. What happened to Christ will happen to believers. He tells us then how we can live in this world where there's such uh, struggle and weeping and suffering. He finishes uh, 15, uh, 58, the last verse. He says, after all these things, they're true. Therefore, be immovable. Uh, be steadfast. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is what it's like to be a sojourner in the world now, understanding the things that are not yet. Death is the beginning for the believer. Now is the time of sojourning, and yet are the promises of God. Amen? Let's pray.